Welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis. I'm your host, Kira Reed. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Amber Littlejohn, Executive Director of the Minority Business Association. Welcome to the show, Amber. Hello, Kira. How are you? I'm great, and I'm super excited to have you on today. Amber Littlejohn is the Executive Director of the Minority Cannabis Business Association, the largest national trade association representing minority cannabis businesses and their communities. Amber is a policy attorney and veteran advocate for emerging and embattled industries. Prior to her role as Executive Director, she served as MCBA's Senior Policy Advisor, where she helped develop and implement their federal policy program. Amber was a business owner, counselor, and advocate in the cannabis and natural products industries, including roles at the American Herbal Products Association and Natural Products Association. In addition to her role at MCBA, Amber serves on the board of directors of the U.S. Hemp Authority and is a convening officer for the Minority Empowerment for the U.S. Hemp Roundtable. Wow, it is so great to have you with us today, Amber. Yes, thank you for having me on today. I love the work that you are doing for women in our space. So I'm so happy to have this conversation today. Thank you so much. All right, so let's get into it. You are a policy attorney and veteran advocate in emerging and embattled industries. Can you tell us or explain to us what that means and how it led you to working in the cannabis industry? So yes, I started out in the dietary supplement industry, and I started out actually in some of the uh, fringier and more embattled elements of dietary supplements. I came from the sports nutrition sector. So it was a natural progression for me into this space. Um, I have a lot of experience in kind of the unique issues that arise both from a business and a policy perspective when you are working firstly with an embattled industry, meaning, you know, you are going to be facing an uphill battle when it comes to politics and policy. And then emerging means you are growing and and developing. And so having done that within the dietary supplement industry and, and helped to bring together some of the voices that were not classically listened to there and and find opportunities for small businesses. The progression into this space was was natural. Um, During my time at the American Herbal Products Association, I started working with our cannabis committee and through that doing some work in the hemp and CBD space. So uh, I couldn't uh, resist the challenge that is this space and I couldn't resist the call of, of really ensuring that this industry is going to be equitable. I come from a line of of activists, so that part will always be in my spirit. So having the opportunity to combine both my love of the regulatory policy and strategy with being able to serve my community is really just a, a dream job. So what is the Minority Business Association? And can you also give us some insights into your mission and your role there? 
So the MCBA, or the Minority Cannabis Business Association, we are a trade association. We are a trade association that serves uh, the communities that have been most impacted by cannabis prohibition. Part of the discussion around cannabis has been the need for equity, and, and we're really looking at equity broadly. Of course, equity is criminal justice reform through cannabis. Equity is also community reinvestment. Equity is also diversity and inclusion within the cannabis industry. Equity is also access, broad access to uh, safe and effective cannabis products. So we look at equity very holistically. Um, What we do, we are probably most known for our policy works, our model state policy, our model ordinance, and the work we've been doing at the federal level to drive policy on the federal level as well. But we also do programming. We have done incubators and accelerators. We do education programs, both independently and with partners, and really kind of provide uh, a resource and and become a stable resource for the community to be able to know where to come, um, to connect, and to, to gain information that they need to participate. What initiatives do you have in place specifically for women of color-owned businesses? So we look holistically at people of color. Um, We focus on, you know, the majority of minority women-owned businesses are going to be small firms. So we focus on a lot of education. So, for example, we are doing um, a small business education series right now, and that is Um, providing really vital resources. We have a marketing and branding webinar coming up, um, and we are doing a legal clinic in partnership with the International Cannabis Bar Association, because so frequently access to legal services at the very beginning of your business journey, it's really limited. And this is for small women-owned businesses and for minority-owned businesses as well. So we're trying to democratize as much of that information as we can. So we are doing a legal clinic on corporate formation and the unique challenges and and information that you need to be successful when forming uh, a corporate entity for a cannabis business. Given the challenges that we have with 280E, there are some unique considerations when it comes to building a cannabis business. So we are very resource oriented and that we are trying to identify the needs of the industry, people trying to get into the business and address that through our partnerships. So when it comes to women specifically in the industry, women of color, what are some of the most common issues that you see that they face? And was there anything that surprised you when you took this role with MCBA? You know, I think one of the things that sticks out for me the most about women of color is that this is a risky business to participate in. It is risky from a capital perspective, and it is also just risky from a relational perspective if you have children. Um, And so that risk becomes really exponential a lot of times for women of color. And I think about this in relation to the banking and insurance issues. I am a mother and I cannot get life insurance because of the restrictions on um, working with cannabis businesses. And so these are the type of things that are challenges for a man entering the industry. And it is a challenge for a non a woman of non-woman of color um, who may have financial support. But for a lot of women of color, these are 
challenges that really become exponential. Other, the other thing is operating in a cash business for the women that are actually plant touching. I was really struck listening to some stories of, of women saying that every night that they leave their business, you know, they have to consider that they are, you know, a, a single mother and the risk that it takes to, to operate in this space and whether challenging and asking themselves whether they're actually doing the right thing, um, given the dangers uh, that can exist with this cash system. So all of the risks that tend to trickle down uh, really disproportionately impact women of color in this space. Okay. If you had a magic wand and you could request three things from your position, what do you believe would help your communities the most and what would they be? One would be for states to really do the work um, in advance of rolling out legal cannabis frameworks and in amending legal cannabis frameworks. And why I say this is that states really need to look into the historical disproportionate impact of these cannabis laws so that when it comes to crafting social equity programs, we can have more aggressive provisions. Uh, because right now we're being met with constitutional challenge to many of these programs. And if the research is done to really support the government's interest in doing this, um, then they are a lot like, more likely to withstand challenge. So that is something I would love to see. I would also like to wave my wand and be able to get funding out to people. Um, you know, I meet so many people with brilliant ideas and it is so challenging for small um, women, minority owned businesses to get funding. Um, and so really just that we would have a pool of resources to fund good ideas with good people. I, I, I'm just sitting over here going, yes, 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 yes. It is just, it, it, that, that barrier to entry is just monumental. Keep going. Yeah, no. Lastly, I would say we need to really end the criminal and kind of de facto criminal penalties for people who are still sitting in jail, people who are at risk of sitting in jail, people who are at risk of losing benefits, people who are at risk of losing custody. All of these things should not exist. People should not be fearing that they will be deported because of working in the cannabis industry. And this is something that you know, in my home state of California really strikes me because I know that much of the industry is, is going to be dependent on immigrant labor. And so to not have protections for the very people who are the lifeblood of really California's economy in general, um, but really a major backbone of the cannabis industry is really troubling because these folks really do risk uh, losing uh, any legal status or even a path to legal status if they are arrested. So uh, it is very hard to watch the industry develop and people who are not women of color um, grow wealthy and get power and grow while we are seeing so many women of color left behind. So on that idea there's a lot of violence and discrimination and you know i'm it's been there all along but the media is really bringing it to light now especially against black and asian communities what does mcba do to help members deal with that reality how do you protect them how do you prepare them what is your role in in that issue 
when the civil uprising and unrest uh, developed over the last few years, we had first and foremost an obligation to to come together as a community and to check in on each other and to support each other because something that I think is really lost in in the discussions that we have in public spaces is the toll and the impact that this takes individually and collectively on the psyches and the spirits of people of color. Uh, So first and foremost, our priority was to care for our own and to make sure that we were supporting people where they were at, whether that be dispensary owners that had, you know, lost their, you know, had their, their businesses robbed, whether it be people that were just struggling uh, emotionally with the uprising and with the violence that existed around it and the violence that was the impetus for it. And then secondly, it was our responsibility to really guide the conversations that existed um, after that to ensure that they were not just rhetoric. Um, That was the first consideration for us. Yes, it's great that you are posting on social media um, that Black Lives Matter. It is great that you are willing to hold a webinar or make a donation, but we need to look holistically at the policies that you are supporting and where you are directing resources to make sure that the change is holistic and sustainable and as broad as possible. So we have worked with both our smaller members in being able to be a resource and being able to uh, really take advantage of, of opportunities that have arisen. And then also to ensure that we are creating meaningful opportunities with this within the industry. One of the conversations that really needed to happen and that I'm heartened has happened uh, a lot more over the past two years is reaching beyond the conversations strictly just about criminal justice reform and industry. That was really kind of the two things that we would discuss when discussing equity. But to see the conversation broaden to include community reinvestment and the holistic impacts of cannabis prohibition and enforcement and the war on drugs and over-policing of communities and really start to look more holistically at these impacts, the economic, health, well-being impacts, and look at how cannabis can address those and how cannabis policy can address those. And we do that through, not through one-off programs, but we do that through approaching every bit of cannabis policy that we put forth with a lens of equity. Equity should never just be a provision in a cannabis bill um, or a part of cannabis regulations. Every aspect of it should be looked at with an opportunity to both restore and empower the communities that have been impacted and include those individuals in the industry. So let's talk about racism in the cannabis industry. Where are you seeing it happen today? And what can the community of white people in the industry do to better support and advance anti-racism in our industry? So much of the racism that we see in the cannabis industry is, of course, that low key. I mean, us, us, we're I mean, we totally like some of my best friends are black people racism. And so what we see, I think the place that I see it the most is going to be the power that is given to the words that come out of a white male mouth 
versus the credibility and the power given to the words that come out of the mouths of women of color. And so it is very much, you can say the exact same thing and it will not be taken seriously. And to want there be such a willingness to invest in the bad ideas of white males <laughs> and an unwillingness to invest in the good ideas of women of color just really lets us know that we have a lot of work to do as an industry mm-hmm. and taking a look at, at our own racism. And then also I, I will say that we have not rooted it out in our policies because if we are willing to power forward with a legalization framework and say, hey, we'll get to that later. Let's just go ahead and legalize and we'll do this whole equity thing later. Later never comes and it should be absolutely foundational in what we are doing. And anything short of that is supporting a system that is oppressive. And so we need to be making sure that we are reevaluating our commitment to social equity, um, taking a look at what is working and what's not, and, and being honest about how much we are really doing to ensure that we are creating an equitable industry. What can I as a white mo- woman do to contribute? The work you are doing is contributing because providing a forum for women, uh, bringing women together, uh, highlighting the work of women in this space really is is a great thing for uh, promoting women of color. And uh, just looking at the different forums that you've provided, you've done an extraordinary job of that. And so it's really a lot about providing a forum and empowering people to be great and show their greatness. Um, I, I love when I, as an advocate, get to sit back and watch the incredible women that are associated with MCBA just shine and tell their stories and talk about their journey. That is so satisfying to me. And so there is something really powerful about bringing new voices uh, to a discussion and giving a platform for new voices and really holding them up in the esteem that this industry really doesn't hold them. Uh, Because again, here in DC, where I'm located, it's a very much a, a white man's town. And as far as the cannabis industry is concerned, it is very much a white man's game. So when you can provide a forum and a voice for diverse perspectives and the voices of women of color, that is a powerful thing. So tell us about three women that we should know about who are in your community who are doing amazing things. Absolutely. One would be Kika Keith. She is the owner of Gorilla Life RX that just opened in South Central Los Angeles. So that would be exciting enough alone. But she is also the founder of the Social Equity Owners and Workers Association. And she is one of the individuals who fought uh, to get that additional 100 social equity licenses in the city of L.A. And despite having her license, she continues to fight to address the issues of equity within the program in Los Angeles, you know, which again stands to be one of the biggest markets in the country. Yes. Yeah. So another woman, I would say, let's see, Jessica Velasquez. Um, Jessica has been a mainstay in the cannabis industry. She is one of the founders of Indiva Advisors. I love Jessica because she is, um, she's an accountant. But she is 
looking at the issues that arise with finance and money in, in the cannabis industry in a way that is so thoughtful with an eye towards our community and an eye toward um, solutions and growth. And I always love when I can talk to people who are solutions oriented and always kind of looking to move the needle uh, for the community. Um, and so I admire her both personally and, and professionally. Lastly, I would say uh, Dion Kellier. She is one of the founders of Smart Council. She is one of the former Hoban Associates. Uh, she is smart. She is forward thinking. Uh, I love her energy. And again, um, another woman who is coming to this and bringing uh, a depth of experience from other industries to be able to really apply that to the cannabis industry in a way that's moving the conversation about equity and access for women of color in this industry past the point of, rec of rhetoric and problems to solutions and, and opportunities. So again, these are, are women that I really love working with in this space. Well, thank you for that. I am definitely, Jessica Velasquez is a member of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, but I'm not familiar with the other two and I will be looking them up. So thank you for sharing their names and their yeah, stuff. They are, they are pretty spectacular women. So uh, I am very fortunate to be frequently humbled <laughs> by the women uh, that I come across. There is no shortage of them that exist both in MCBA's alum that have gone on to do extraordinary things within the community. So. I agree. As, as a community leader, I see it every day and it's what keeps me going despite all of the challenges to be just surrounded by so many incredibly brilliant, talented, smart women. It's, it's, it's just exhilarating and it makes my job so worth it. So I totally get it. It's pretty funny. We'll say here that on the DC stage, we frequently will be in a meeting that is, you know, concocting a, a winning strategy or on a path to a winning strategy. And you look around the table and it's mostly women uh, because we get things done. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I do love to, uh, to really kind of marvel in that on occasion. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to come and reflect and, and celebrate. Oh, you're welcome. It was wonderful to be here for it. Okay. So is there anything that we haven't covered that you want my audience to know about MCBA? Really, again, just that we want people to be, uh, we want you, of course, to connect, to join MCBA and to join the conversation. We are going to be looking towards a lot more grassroots work now. Uh, at the end of the year, we're launching a grassroots committee to be able to really empower people where they are um, on the state level to advocate for themselves, to advocate for their community. And so we want people to get involved and we want folks to know that we are here um, and willing to support. I, I get calls all the time. Hey, we are having a problem on this state level and I can always connect people with folks to be a resource, um, whether that be for your business or for policy issues. So just encourage people to come and to connect and to, to be part of our community because the organization is great, uh, but we are only as great as our community and really, really fortunate to be a part of, of a really spectacular group of people. What are you most excited about for MCBA in 2022? 
Oh, gosh. Um, I'm really excited about 2022. A lot of people don't know this, but until November, when I took over as executive director, MCBA relied entirely on its board volunteer labor. And we really just outgrew that model. And we have been growing exponentially and rebuilding behind the scenes to be able to better serve our community. Um, We are updating our model state policy. So we have all these amazing resources that are going to be coming out and all these exceptional tools. So I am so happy to see an organization that was able to, to really be a powerful impact on its community when it was completely bootstrapped, um, now growing into a staffed organization and being able to see what we're going to want to do in, in 2022 is just really exciting. I have such a personal connection to the growth and success of this organization um, and really look forward to, to seeing how we can just better serve our community in 2022. If people are interested in joining MCBA, what can they expect as a member and where do they go to learn more about joining? So uh, you can find more about MCBA at minoritycannabis.org. And as a member, a lot of it just depends on what you want to get out of it. You are going to get information on cannabis policy, information on opportunities, lots of good education opportunities. We have scholarship programs and offers for conferences. Um, We just sent 20 people to the cannabis conference um, last month. So all of those kind of typical benefits, networking, events, parties, and things like that, but really resources. That's that's number one thing. Uh, we are redoing both the front and back end of our website, and that will be out shortly. So there's a whole new cool community and lots of resources back there for new business folks. Um, so really, it's it's a lot what you want to get out of it. And if folks are interested in getting into leadership, either through committees or through actually participation on the board, um, there are opportunities. So it really just, um, we welcome and encourage people to just reach out. And if you have bandwidth and interest, get involved. And where can people find out more about you? Um, at uh, On the website, my link in my bio are there. I am, of course, on LinkedIn. I am very Gen X when it comes to my Instagram. So that's probably not the best place to find me. I have like five posts on there, uh, but I am on LinkedIn, Amber Littlejohn. Um, so you could definitely find out more there. And yeah, I'm happy to connect. People uh, can feel free to reach out to me personally as well. Well, thank you so much, Amber, for your time and for sharing your journey with us today. And ladies, thank you for tuning in. If you haven't yet joined the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, go to our brand new website at weicwomen.com, and there you'll find lots of information on our new membership offerings for women working in cannabis. WEIC is a community that provides resources, connections, events, and content to women working in cannabis in the U.S., Canada, and around the world where there's an interest in cannabis legalization. We welcome women who are currently working in cannabis or curious about taking a leap into the industry. Consider becoming a supporting member or supporting business for benefits and access across the network. And be sure to join us again for another conversation with women leading in cannabis.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.